Welcome, my name is Kareem Kanji and this is episode 63. Today we have the co-founder and project director of the Together Project, Anna Hill. Enjoy this conversation. Live from Pacific Junction Hotel, Girth Radio in session. How does it feel to be an American living in Canada at this time? Yeah. I'm very proud to be living in Canada. I feel very lucky to be here right now. Um, I also feel a real responsibility as an American to be very engaged in current events. Mm -hmm. Why, Why do you feel lucky and fortunate to be living here? I think there is a long history of multiculturalism, diversity, and inclusion in Canada that creates the kind of communities that I really want to be a part of Mm -hmm. and that I want to work to strengthen. And I feel like um, in the U.S. right now, the increase in anti-immigration sentiment that we're seeing there and we're seeing in Europe it's so profoundly disturbing and I feel like in Canada there's really an opportunity to kind of you know create models of inclusion and engagement that will hopefully kind of lead the way you know be a beacon Mm -hmm. for other countries to show you know what it what it really means to build healthy strong communities and how we can do that you live you you live there most of your life I did. In the States? Yes. Whereabouts? So I lived in a lot of different places. Where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in Denver. uh, Okay. So right in the middle of the country. Yeah. Um, It was was a great place to grow up, but it was certainly a city that is not as diverse as Toronto. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's funny, like in, in my personal life my my father was a Jane Jacobs scholar so really I, yeah so is I that where you got your your love of community and city building very much so yeah I always grew up with this idea that you know complexity and contra and uh you know complex co- social complexity is the kind of genesis of creativity and that Diverse neighborhoods, pedestrian neighborhoods, um, you know, 24 hour neighborhoods, different ideas, uh, different points of view, that those are really the healthiest communities to live in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, maybe if I had lived in a, in a kind of neighborhood that was different, you know, more monoculture maybe I would think differently, but I've, yeah. I, you know, I, I'm very much a product of, of kind of my, my parents kind of early beliefs, mm-hmm. but also, you know, we chose to live in neighborhoods that were as diverse as possible from as long as I can remember. So educate me a little bit here in, in Canada, the majority of people live in cities, Yes. right? In the States it's, it's flipped. Is it, is, is that right? That's what I've heard. Like, most people are not living in large cities like we do here. So, in the United States, 
after World War II, mm -hmm. the Department of Highways really affected the way that um, cities expanded. And so basically, uh, there was this movement to create kind of bedroom, bedroom communities, um, single-zoned residential communities, and then everybody got on the freeway and they did these long commutes to work and worked in kind of, you know, commercial downtown districts that were vacant at night, mm -hmm. lively by day, but vacant at night. And that kind of like, um, I don't know, like single use planning, mm -hmm. I think really uh, prevents people from kind of rubbing elbows with each other 24 hours a day. You know, like if you compare kind of your typical suburban neighborhood to a place like, you know, Greenwich Village, which say Jane Jacobs wrote about, you know, that the, the experience in neighborhoods where, you know, you've got commercial on the ground floor and you've got people living upstairs and it's dense and people are walking everywhere and taking transit. It's very hard to kind of like villainize people who seem different because you're rubbing elbows with people every day and you mm -hmm. realize people are people. Yeah. So... And in the states, they it, it's sort of the other way around. Yeah, there's a lot. The majority, of, right? Like yeah, there's a lot of suburban communities. Yeah. Absolutely. And the more west you go in the country, uh, the more that's true because you know cities like Phoenix or Denver or I don't know uh, Las Vegas, you know they they were really built up after this uh, kind of auto-centered uh, model of city planning that was kind of based around the shopping mall and then the downtown district and the residential district, uh, that those cities in the West really developed primarily mm -hmm. under that model. Whereas on the East, you know, you do have sort of downtown centers that are still very pedestrian-oriented. Yeah. So I'm, I'm wondering if, and I was we were having this debate at work, I'm wondering if that... These two different experiences, um, is we're seeing more of that today, or we're seeing reflection of, you know, a lot of people are talking about, you know, the forgotten middle, yes, of, of America, yes, you know, s some of these smaller towns, um, whether you know they've sort of risen up. I don't know if it's a proper term, um, and and are now saying this is what we want. Now, I'm, I'm just curious your thoughts on, on on that because as as you said in the city. You need to get along with people because they're all over the place. Mm -hmm. But in this small town, you can sort of create your own neighborhoods and be around people that you want to be around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely think that, uh, you know, the, the, the Democratic Party has historically been a party of the working class. And I think um, with the movement of so many jobs overseas... I think there was a, a real unintended consequence of, of kind of abandoning uh, these towns that were um, built around industry, you know, working class jobs. And I think, as we all know, you know, it's, it's that voting public which really kind of looked at their choice uh, between the Democratic candidate and the Republican candidate and thought, you know what, like Obama hasn't really done enough for me, so I'm going to give Trump a try. And mm -hmm. as devastating as that is, uh, 
you know, for for someone like me. Yeah. Um, I try to, you know, do some real soul searching and, and realize that while I have grown up personally in these fantastic downtown urban neighborhoods where I do feel really connected to many people. I have, you know, friends of every ethnicity, religion, uh, you know, I I live in a very diverse, connected community. That is not necessarily the experience of of someone who's grown up, you know, in a, a town in Michigan where no one has any work, and mm-hmm. there really wasn't uh, a social safety net like we have in Canada uh, to provide sufficient, you know, access to education, healthcare. Um, transit, you know, the basic things that we all need to have a good life. Yeah, you alluded to sort of that pendulum swing. Mm-hmm. You know, people will vote left, they'll vote right, you know, mm-hmm. they'll... Um, th- this seems very different, doesn't it? It's or does it to you? No, I think, I think it is very different primarily because, I mean, I kind of shudder when I say this, but it, it feels like it's not an isolated occurrence in the United States. Hmm. You know, the, the, the kind of anti-immigration sentiment is happening all across Europe and in the United States. And basically right now, you know, Canada is kind of the, the country to whom people are looking for um, uh, a kind of, you know, national identity that is really founded on multiculturalism uh, to allow this kind of global world, global sense of community, global economic inter- interdependence, uh, to to create uh, unity, inclusion, diversity, rather than mm-hmm. um, you know animosity, fighting over scarce resources, demonization, etc. Mm-hmm. Your your thoughts on on the protest marches that uh, that happened. The day after um, Donald Trump was inaugurated. So, you know, like many people I know, um, I participated in the Women's March here in Toronto. I remember, you know, saying on the way there, like, how many people do you think are going to show up? Mm -hmm. And someone said, oh, you know, maybe a few thousand. And I got there and it was like, whoa, this is way more than a couple thousand people. Um, and then when I started, you know, receiving tweets and emails from like a relative in, of mine in Norway and another one, I have another relative who was like, I think in Nairobi and, you know, talking about these women's marches all over the world. Mm-hmm. I was just um, so grateful to see that, you know, I am not alone. None of us are alone in our deep sense of need to preserve um, uh, like a, a, a sense of kind of common humanity mm-hmm. in the way that uh, government and policy are uh, you know executed from above you know uh, whether in Canada or the US there is a real movement developing worldwide I think that is is really based in this awareness that, you know, many of us have been lucky enough to live a life that is not defined by history, mm-hmm. but suddenly, you know, I don't think there's anyone who is untouched by 
what is happening politically right now. It is very hard to be apolitical at the moment. You know, I yeah. think you have to dig deep, ask yourself, you know, what do I believe in? What do I believe is the right way forward? And you have to engage. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are doing that. I'm curious um, sort of what was going through your mind when, you know, American girl living in the, in the Midwest yes. um, comes to Canada. Yes. What was that like for you? So um, when I moved to Toronto, I'd actually been living and working in Los Angeles as an architect for about 10 years before I got here. Um, I was I was somewhat politically engaged in Los Angeles. I, I had an arts organization that I was involved in, and we sort of did installations and uh, kind of commented on urban planning issues through our installations. But I remember when I first got to Toronto, I was so shocked, actually, by how many people were involved in some kind of volunteer activity. Okay. And I realized that um, my American peers uh, were not as generous with their time. And they were not uh, sort of offering a couple hours a week to some volunteer cause that they cared about as just part of life. You yeah. know? And I find that even today, I am just amazed by the willingness of uh, Canadians to make space in their overcrowded schedules to you know do a little bit of volunteer work and basically all of my work since I've been in Toronto has been about volunteer engagement and I sometimes wonder if I could have been as successful you know doing this work in US cities as I have been here in Canada because mm. I've just had amazing uh, encounters with volunteers here. W was it a... Um, th there wasn't a culture shock, was there? Well... For you? Okay, so... I mean, in some ways, I had a very typical immigrant experience in that I had a very successful career in the U.S. I came here as a new mother with a tiny child. I, you know, married a Canadian, and I was felt committed to, you know, trying to adapt to life in Toronto, but I was actually quite shocked at how overwhelming it was to figure out, okay, how do I rebuild my career mm -hmm. here in Toronto? And I didn't have any language barriers, but um, it took me a long time to figure out how I wanted to kind of reinvent myself in Toronto as compared to the, the sort of architect that I was in Los Angeles. And, and in fact, I ended up not ev I never practiced architecture. Uh, Why is that? You know, it's interesting. I, I really think that it's a huge kind of psychological shift that you go through when you decide to leave your country of origin, even if it's just the U.S. <laughs> to Canada. Like, it's not, it seems like it's not a big deal, but there's this kind of, I think, process of reinvention that you go through, especially in my case. I realized I was going to be raising my kids as Canadians, uh, I certainly didn't have any family here. And uh, in my case, you know, I had worked on large community projects as an architect, and I just realized that um, I was more interested in working with community than I was in making buildings. Mm -hmm. So that led me to my 
Okay. Yeah, my my sort of work in parks and nice with communities, which is how I know you. Your work <laughs> in parks. Yeah. Uh, and, and working with with Minaz. Yeah. Um, how did you discover? Like, yeah. How did you get connected with park people? How did that that involvement and passion around um, amplifying park spaces? Uh, how did you get involved with that? Sure. So, uh, I, I mean, basically, when I first moved here, I walked out my front door and I was in Trinity Bellwoods Park because we live right next to the park. And it's hard to imagine this, but it, 10 years ago, the park was actually a bit run down. Like there was a ton of, you know, there was like bottle caps everywhere in the playground and uh, there was trash and you know, it was a little shady at night and people don't really realize that um, the park looked pretty different 10 years ago. Mm. So um, I just felt like, you know what, this is this amazing downtown park that's, you know, a, a 20 minute walk from from downtown and, you know, it needs some love. So I just got <laughs> together a bunch of neighbors yeah. and we started just by picking up trash in the playground. And then, uh, and then we realized, you know, we could do a lot more here. And so um, we, uh, we started a farmer's market. We uh, spoke to the city about getting some new playground equipment. Uh, we worked to get a greenhouse in the park. You say this like very nonchalant, like, yeah, so what day, you know, on Monday we did a <laughs> farmer's market. Tuesday we built a playground. Yeah. So, yeah. like, tell me, like, farmer's market, like, how do you... Well, like, how does that decision come about? Yeah, well, I really believe that, um, like, volunteer engagement is really uh, kind of the easiest path into, um, yeah, like, civic engagement. And in my case, it was just, like, so day by day. You know, I was new, a new mom. I had little kids. We were in the park all the time. And gradually, I got to know my park supervisor. Then I got to know the uh, our city councilor at the time. But I also just like talked to lots of people. Mm -hmm. And honestly, like if you've had five people, I mean, maybe you can't change the world, but you can definitely change your park. And uh, it was a real kind of realization for me that um, that a couple of you know concerned citizens, if you put in a you know, a few hours a week, um, you can make a big difference, especially if you just stay with it. So we ended up starting Friends of Trinity Bellwoods. And, uh, you know, once we had a website and a Facebook page, um, just so many other people came out of the woodwork and offered to help us. And, and the city was very interested in helping us. And I just realized that, you know, if you have a good idea and you're willing to put it out there and you're willing to work with all different kinds of people, um, often things can change more quickly than you might think. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, I went from working with Friends of Trinity Bellwoods to uh, I met Dave Harvey at a community meeting and uh couple months later there was a posting he was looking for an outreach coordinator at, at park people and I just I just felt like you know this is something that I actually believe in mm -hmm. you know I I know about it and and I'm so passionate about public space because I feel like it's 
it's a place where people who don't know each other very well, um, especially new immigrants like me, you know, can make friends mm-hmm. and uh, and and kind of have those initial casual interactions that are really the seeds of of your long term community. So, uh, park people, you know, when people ask me, you know, so what does Manaz do? And I say, well, she helps neighborhoods get more use out of their parks. Yes. And and I'm trying to in my head I go no it see, it seems like there's more to it. There's is there seems to be more than just getting people to use their parks more. Yes. I think there I think there is more. I think that um like for me public space is kind of like it's almost like a three-dimensional uh representation of of kind of democracy in that everyone is welcome and everyone is welcome and everyone has an opportunity to shape the space in a way that that they believe is is best for the community and of course there's debate there's negotiation you know you you have to be able to form partnerships but that experience of of being able to have an idea and develop the leadership skills that are necessary to build partnerships and bring people together to get behind in an idea and, and ask for help, you know, f- whether financial or, or kind of capacity building, leadership training or media training, hmm. you know, like putting your ideas out there and actually being able to realize them is a, it's a real, it's a profound experience in a healthy democracy. And I think... Uh, in some ways, like citizen engagement is almost like a like a fourth level of hmm. of not government, but you know if you've you've got like federal, provincial, uh, municipal, but then you've also got like community on the ground, grassroots movements, mm-hmm. and, the, and 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 that kind of percolation up from the grassroots, I think, is really key to direct our public officials, mm-hmm. you know, to to help them make good decisions. Yeah. Um. So what's while while you were with how long were you with Park, Park people? people? Yeah. So I was with Park people for four years, mm-hmm. and then just in the last year, I've done a tiny bit of work with them. Yeah. But every year, my job was very different. Mm-hmm. Um, as the organization grew, you know, my responsibilities changed, and I, you know, in the beginning. I was very, very focused on kind of grassroots mobilization. It was it was my job to make sure that there was a Friends of Park group in every ward in Toronto. Um, but then, you know, slowly funders started to get interested in our organization. And by the time I left, um, I was managing a program called the Western Family Parks Challenge. And the purpose of that really was to empower a lot of these uh, Friends of Park groups and organizations who actually wanted to transform parks with, you know, large capital improvements or or new programming. Mm-hmm. I was, um, I know it's very important to, you know, work with the city yes. at, at a park level. Yes. And so I, I think it was last summer sometime. Uh, I happen to live in uh, in in Norm's uh, yes. writing. Yes. And so you know, this was after or during the time when um, I think the tragic hit were touring 
And I said, wouldn't it be cool if we have just like a, a Music Monday sort of thing? And, uh, and my idea was that, you know, on these couple of Mondays, we'll get like local musicians to come. And may- maybe they can, you know, it, the, the focus would be on, you know, them playing just hip songs or, or, or whatever, really. Um, but it was so difficult and it was so hard to get approval and it was a lot of back and forth. And I said, you know, this is, it got to the point where I said, you know what, forget it. This is not worth my time. It's not worth the effort. I just want to get a bunch of people. There might be five, there might be 20 people uh, just to hang out. And the, the amount of money you want me to pay and the amount of forms that you want me to sign, um, I said, no, I'm, this, is, this is not worth it for me. Um, what can what can you know whether it's um, residences, residents or whether it is city officials? What can be done to ease that process of being able to organize and do something in a park? Yeah. Well, first, I just want to say I'm so sorry to hear <laughs> that that was your experience. It's very sad. Um, it is true that the city is the landowner of parks, so you really can't do much without um, working very closely with your park supervisor and your city councillor. Yeah. And, and, you know, in my case, a huge reason why I was able to uh, work with, you know, neighbours to accomplish things in Trinity Bellwoods Park, like starting a farmer's market, was because we had and have a very supportive city councillor and a very supportive park supervisor. Um, you know, that's, that's not always the case. Um, I do know that there's, while I've been at Park People, you know, there, there've been a lot of people who've described similar experiences to Mm -hmm. yours. Um, I was at the, the Park Summit, uh, the annual Toronto Park Summit on Saturday and the, uh, director of parks, Janie Romoff said to the audience you know, that they're reviewing the permitting system and that they're really trying to make an effort to make it more possible for citizens who have a good idea to go through a simplified permitting process so that they hmm. can, you know, do things like have fun, you know, a music concert series in the park. And I think, I mean, the truth is there's a lot of work to be done. We've got a ways to go. People do have bad experiences for sure. But hopefully, you know, some also have good experiences. And, you know, when you see programs like like there's the new Toronto Arts Council program, which is, you know, offering grants uh, for artists to work with community and parks um, in uh, 2017. And I think they did the same in 2016. Yeah, yeah. You know, programs like that are very hopeful. Mm-hmm. We just need more of them. Is there is there a, a city whether it's here in Canada, down in the States, or around the world, somewhere in the world, that is sort of like a shining example of um, civic engagement in public spaces? It's a really interesting question. I mean, Seattle, Washington comes to mind for mm-hmm. me. There's a really neat partnership in Seattle between the City Parks Department and uh, the, the kind of equivalent organization to park people, uh, where I think they really try to work together, like um, a nonprofit organization that's uh, working to advocate for 
uh, community parks can fundraise in a very different way mm -hmm. than the city can fundraise. Um, and I think that there's a really strong dialogue between the nonprofit sector and the public sector about, you know, how do we work together to make our public spaces the very the, as dynamic, as vital, as inclusive, as diverse as they can possibly be. Mm -hmm. You know, those those public-private nonprofit partnerships can just accomplish so much. Yeah, San Francisco is another great city on that front. Interesting. What are yeah. they doing? Um, San Francisco similarly has a really strong. Uh, city Parks Department mm -hmm. as well. They have um, uh, a strong nonprofit organization, maybe organizations that are advocating for parks and uh, you know they're doing um, like they have this amazing project in the Presidio which was an old um, army base that they've uh, turned into like you know, mixed-use housing. They've come up with very interesting financial strategies to ensure that the property, uh, you know, remain primarily in the public realm, but they've figured out interesting ways to fund it and uh, to take really good care of it because hmm. maintenance is always a huge issue yeah. with parks, too. So after four years, Anna, you take time off. Yes. Right? You, you want to be a mom yeah. again. You yeah. want to... Um, spend more time with your kids. Yes. Uh, and then you, s you I, I think you have the same disease that I have. You just got to keep busy. I, you and, know. And so, yeah, <laughs> so, what so what happened? <laughs> so, you know, it's interesting. Like, I mean, on some level, I would say the Syrian refugee crisis happened. Um, so I, I took some time off uh, from park people, but right away I had <laughs> some neighbors say to me, you know, we really, we really should sponsor, uh, we should do a private sponsorship for mm -hmm. a Syrian family. And I'm like, absolutely, you're right. I've got time. I'll lead it. Let's do this. <laughs> and, uh, and, and sort of there was a, there was, uh, you know, that was happening. And then, um, I don't know if you recall, but there were a bunch of refugee newcomers who were staying in a hotel on Spadina and some, uh, neighbors of mine, uh, had sort of got wind of this and decided that, you know, we, our local community of friends, needed to help uh, because they, the kids were sort of in the hotel and they needed to go to the park. Mm -hmm. So, you know, subsequently, through working with the settlement sector, I've learned all about, you know, vulnerable sector screenings and how kind of awkward we all were by just sort of showing up at the hotel and saying let's we're, go yeah we're happy to take you to the park um <laughs> but there was a lot of goodwill there and the goodwill was from everyone in the city there was just this real sense of of a need for um torontonians average torontonians to get ready to kind of receive uh, a very large number of syrian newcomers mm -hmm. in toronto and so, um, so through my private sponsorship work and my volunteer work with government-assisted refugee newcomers, I started to become more familiar um, with, you know, what it's like to be a, a refugee newcomer in Canada. So there is, and I, I was not aware of this, there, there is a difference between someone who is privately sponsored yes. and someone who is government-sponsored. Yes. What, what, what are those main differences? So 
A private sponsorship of a, of a refugee occurs when a group of people get together and raise money um, to bring an individual or a family over to Canada. So when that family arrives, they have um, money, you know, just bare minimum, but they have enough money to support their life during their first year in Canada, but they also have this super dedicated social network of volunteers that help them with things like, um, you know, enrolling in schools, signing up for ESL, getting to all of their medical and dental appointments, figuring out how transit works, uh, their basic sort of uh, opportunities to practice English, um, you know, accessing recreation programs. And the truth is there, there are a tremendous number of supports available for refugee newcomers, but often, you know, a settlement worker doesn't really have the time sure. to kind of track each family and making sure that they're taking advantage of everything that is, that is provided to them and often necessary to ensure kind of long-term successful integration. So, so by contrast, the government-assisted refugees who are, you know, selected on criteria of vulnerability by the United Nations, they come to Canada and their only source of support is their, is their settlement caseworker. Yeah. And so I kind of, others, you know, I noticed, as did others, that the government-assisted refugee newcomers weren't receiving the same level of, of volunteer assistance that the privately sponsored refugee newcomers were receiving. Mm -hmm. And that seemed like a gap that needed to be filled. Mm -hmm. And so obviously, Superwoman <laughs> yourself decides to start up this organization. Yeah, and as you know, no one ever starts anything alone. I mean, sure, uh, sure. I think we all do things in little baby steps, yeah. right? So there were so many little baby steps. And I think the first thing that happened is um, uh, a colleague who I know work with, uh, Craig Smith, um, he had this idea that he wanted to, to uh, do a picnic in Dufferin Grove Park to welcome all of Toronto's Syrian refugee newcomers uh, to their, their new home. And um, he told my, our counselor, Mike Layton, about the idea. And Mike said, oh, you know, you should talk to Anna because she works for Park People. She might be able to help you with this. Mm -hmm. So Craig is a, a PhD student at the University of Toronto, and he called me up. And again, I was like, wow, that is such a great idea. Um, so uh, I had been working with another neighbor, Kate Bate, um, to kind of help connect uh, the, the government-assisted refugee newcomers who were in the hotels um, to volunteers to support them. And, and Kate was totally the lead on that. And so I said to Craig, you know, this woman, Kate, is really connected to a lot of families. You know, why don't the three of us try to put a picnic together? So the first thing we did was just simply in July, we, we you know, we decided to do this picnic. And to our shock and awe, you know, uh, I think 300, 400 people showed up. And it was... It was packed. Yeah, it was absolutely packed. 
and there were um, there were like 15 or 20 partners who all worked together to make this happen. And again, it was like there were just so many people who wanted to do something, who wanted to help, to, who wanted to kind of express this need to kind of welcome people who had come through so much. Um, and after, after the picnic, we just had a little meeting and we were like, you know, there's something to this. Like, hmm. why... Why was this? Why was? Why did this event feel so good and so meaningful? And you know, what can we learn from it? Um, so, so it was really just in a simple meeting after that picnic that we kind of came up with the the idea of our organization together project, which is is based on this idea of of uh, creating these volunteer welcome groups for government assisted refugees. Um, so that's our matching pillar. And then our public space pillar is about creating these community events mm. that bring our volunteers and the government-assisted refugee newcomers together. And then we have a research pillar, which is about tracking our impacts and, mm. and finding out if volunteer engagement does, in fact, make a difference in the longer-term settlement outcomes. Like when people have social network support, you know, are they able to integrate into Toronto and have fuller, more meaningful lives? Hmm. It almost seems like an obvious answer. It does seem like an obvious answer, but if you look at the kind of situation internationally, hmm. I think it's so important to, um, you know, like document your models, hmm. test what you're doing, be able to adjust try new iterations if something isn't working because you know in our in our big hopes and dreams you know we're, we're coming up with uh, like a model that will really um, perhaps be able to to work in Toronto and then maybe go outside of Toronto hmm. or in other places in Canada or or even elsewhere you know because I think we do feel like there's something so special about Canada and this this kind of moment when when there's this real desire, f you know, a lot of volunteers really want to help, uh, you know, refugee newcomers. So we we want to find out, okay, is this really going to work or is this just an idea? And if it is working, well, let's share what we've learned. So the question then is, do you see it working? So, I mean, we're still, you know, we're at the beginning. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I really encourage people, if, if you're interested in volunteering, get in touch. Um, I, it's certainly, you know, in my personal experience, I would absolutely say, yes, it's working. But I think, um, you know, we need to do focus groups throughout the year. We need to learn from uh, volunteer movements that are happening across Ontario. Um, we're currently, uh, we actually got a grant from uh, Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship Canada to write a, a, a sort of report on volunteer engagement with Syrian refugees in particular in 2016. And I think that report is a really important base for us because, you know, we need to learn from a lot of different organizations and grassroots movements. You know, what are you trying? What are you trying? What's working? What's not working? Um, and then I think, 
we want to kind of just push our model forward but with as much knowledge as we can from other people because again mm -hmm. you know no one ever does anything well if they do it alone you really sure. have to like learn from everybody are we focusing just on syrian refugees or so i think that is just such an important point and i want to say very clearly no <laughs> we are not um we uh we create volunteer welcome groups with government assisted refugees from any from country of ori origin yeah. yes so it so happens that because we're in toronto i would say about 75 percent of our families are syrian okay but we're also you know working with uh not just families but also individuals uh we're hoping to match families from uh like just in the next few weeks you know from congo from hmm. uh liberia from pakistan from um uh, what are some of some of the other countries? Maybe Colombia. So you know, this idea. I I think the the Syrian refugee crisis was a kind of flashpoint sure. that really reminded all of us, like this this global refugee crisis is bigger than it's been since World War Two. Um, there's a huge need for all of us to think about integration as a two-way street where the the kind of host society has m as much of a role to play in the success of our newcomer refugees as they themselves have to play mm -hmm. in really you know engaging um when they get here uh but i think definitely you know <laughs> refugees are coming from unfortunately multiple countries yeah. of origin now how does that happen how do you sort of get the together project in between there so that you know that people are coming and you guys are ready to help how do, how do you guys find out about people coming in so that's a great question so we work very closely with costi immigrant services mm -hmm. so costi is the the kind of primary community agency that receives government assisted refugee newcomers in toronto so over 2017 they'll receive between 750 and a thousand uh refugee newcomers and this is just toronto this is just toronto okay um across ontario there's like 11 uh community agencies that receive government assisted refugee newcomers at present, we're only working in Toronto. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we hope that will change. Uh, but um, just in Toronto alone, you know, we we have a number, a very large number of, of families that we're trying to match over the year. You know, if we can do, uh, you know, between four, eight, ten matches a month, we're doing really well. But remember mm. that, that involves uh, meeting, you know, so if we were to do five matches a month, that yeah. involves meeting and doing vulnerable sector screenings for 25 volunteers. Mm -hmm. So we got to meet all of them. We need to make sure that, you know, they kind of understand the, the requirements of, mm -hmm. of, of this um, program. Um, and then and then we also have to meet the families. Yeah. And and we do something called a, a sort of preference matching survey where we ask the, the government assisted refugee newcomers, you know, what is 
what are you hoping for in terms of a family that or in terms of a welcome group that you would work with and then we ask our welcome groups you know what what are you hoping for and we have this whole kind of series of questions that we go through yeah uh so we want to make a good match and then lastly every volunteer welcome group and government assisted refugee uh family or individual they we also have a a person called a cultural ambassador who's part of the group and mm-hmm. the cultural ambassador um uh is an interpreter and also kind of creates like cultural bridging or cultural understanding between okay, the volunteers sure. and the and the refugee newcomers that's so interesting yeah so we have a whole group of you know arabic speakers that work with us but we also have people who speak urdu and tigrinya yeah approximately how many families have sort of are are part of the program sure so so this organization together Mm -hmm. project began as a volunteer grassroots movement called Mm -hmm. welcome project so in 2016 welcome project matched about 50 families but in becoming an organization we kind of we, we had to really um, sort of build our systems and, and make sure that we were doing things in such a way that we were carefully building the capacity of our volunteers to work safely and effectively with the families. So we've just matched um, in January, uh, we've matched about eight families mm-hmm. and we really have to kind of keep going in 2017 with at least four but preferably you know six or eight matches per a month. month yeah that's really good yeah you must have a lot of volunteers we have so many volunteers because each family needs at least five volunteers wow. supporting them so if if we do a hundred matches this year in toronto we'll be managing 500 volunteers that's amazing yeah so it's uh so how's retirement <laughs> <laughs> i know this was supposed to be my retirement job you know, I I just don't know if anyone can retire in 2017. I think um, I think that it's a year when we all really need to sort of figure out what we believe in, and you know, just spend a little time, stand, mm-hmm. you know, shaping our lives to express what we believe yeah. in. Yeah. So, where can people find out more information about? Is it Together Project or the Together Project? Uh, so. It's Together Project. It okay. started as the Together Project, but you know, we we thought, okay, Facebook dropped the, so maybe we should <laughs> too. So anyway, so now we're Together Project. Um, so uh, it's www.togetherproject.ca. Um, you can find us on Facebook at mm-hmm. uh, Together Project Toronto. You can find us on Twitter at uh, Together underscore Hello. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Last question I have for you. Yes. Maybe it's the last question. Yes, go ahead. You sound nervous. <laughs> How is it like being married to a bare naked lady? Oh, yeah. You know, well, Jim is just a wonderful guy. He is so incredibly supportive. We're not recording, so you can tell me the truth. Really? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> he is. He's amazing. He's such an amazing guy. He's, you know, he's so supportive of the work that I do. And, in, you know, I think like most people who are married, you really, you can only pursue your dreams if your partner's behind you. And yeah. I, I have to report that my partner is fully behind 
uh, together project. He was very supportive of park people. And he's just... He's been out taking, like, a bunch of kids playing soccer. Yeah, well, he's, like, the poster child. If you go to the... If you <laughs> yes, go, he's on the website, exactly, isn't he? Exactly. Yeah. If you go to the Together Project uh, website, you'll see a guy in a red hat playing some soccer with kids, and that's Jim. So he's kind of the, you know, the behind-the-scenes guy who just, you know, really, like, does give us so much support, and, mm-hmm. and we're incredibly grateful for that. Actually, I... Uh, I said last question, but there's stuff that just pops into my sure, head. Sure, go for it. Um, you guys were just, was it the ROM, or the yes. museum you guys went to? Yes. How was that? Oh, so fun. So so one of the, I think for me, you know, I'm coming to Together Project really with a, a background, or at least the last four years of working in public space. So for me, the trips that when we take the newcomer refugees who've just arrived in Toronto, uh, to places like the ROM or the Courtright Center, or we're going, uh, next week we're going to the Evergreen Brick Brick Works for a Learn to Skate. Um, we're going to be taking a bunch of people curling. Wow. I mean, this is so fun. <laughs> so it's really the the kind of, honestly, it's the most fun part of my job. Um, a, a couple of the families that we took to the ROM on Saturday had only been here for uh, three days. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, so they're just coming. And so I think the ROM was a really neat um, way to welcome people to Canada because, mm-hmm. you know, of course, we're talking about things that are classically Canadian, like we looked at canoes and, <laughs> uh, you know, that sort of thing. But as well, we were able to stop and see some um, Islamic art and... Uh, and it's a it's a it's a neat kind of uh, first stop. So, yeah. um, but one one of the things that uh, people have said to me, which I think is interesting, is that um, at least in a lot of Syrian cities, the kids really grow up kind of playing outside, and so it's very hard for uh, Syrians in particular when they first get here to kind of deal with the winter and that we're all cooped up. Mm-hmm. So I think it's so important right away to kind of introduce people to, you know, ways to be outside in winter. So mm-hmm. um, I'm really looking forward to the Learn to Skate event. Awesome. Well, you're doing some amazing work, Anna. Oh, you're so kind. And thank you so much for spending some time yeah. here. Yeah, you're doing amazing work, too. Thank you for all you do.